0: W B N E. Hello and welcome to episode 142, All About the Silmarillion, Chapter 2, of Aule and Yavanna, being the 142nd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading *The Silmarillion*, so you don't have to. Today, I'm joined by Alan of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much for coming on, listeners. You can stop messaging me. Uh, I have been caught. Co- I've been, you know, in contact with Alan and Sean for several months now um, Mm -hmm. trying to get y'all to come on and schedules are you know always difficult to coordinate and you know on your end and my end mostly on ours I'll confess it's been no no because it's also my end where I'm like well I don't really know what I'll be doing in a month from now so (laughs) I don't know what to tell you for what you could come on for so um, but we worked it out where Alan is on for this episode and in the future Sean will join at a later date Mm -hmm. um so y'all could stop messaging me i got them don't worry i heard you loud and clear Um, i should have
1: a disclaimer though i haven't done a show without sean maybe ever so i
0: (gasps) wow look at you well you're doing great so far well thank you i appreciate that (laughs) did you actually
1: say though by the way that you're reading the silmarillion so your listeners don't have to yep oh no what are
0: you well, doing? <laughs> so a lot of uh, my listeners are the more casual fans okay. or the fans who um, are, there are a few people who are experiencing it along with me.
1: That's great. Um, and so there that. are a
0: lot of people who are just intimidated by the Silmarillion. Understandable. Um, and also a lot of people who are just like, I'd like to know what's happening, but I also don't really want to hurt my brain <laughs> while trying to a, figure a it
1: want a Notes version, huh?
0: Exactly, yeah. All right. Um so which I mean you could say I've been the cliff notes version of Lord of the Rings, you oh, know, fun. all along. All right. So
1: we're sort yeah. of the expanded edition. If you've ever listened to our show, <laughs> you know, we, we take a lot longer than Tolkien does to go through things. So, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, and that's exactly it. I know that there are lots of podcasts out there that go into a lot of detail and some people who are maybe at the more entry level for Mm -hmm. um, Tolkien or Lord of the Rings are like, I don't know. I like, I don't need to know all that. I don't even know what y'all are talking about. And so that's that's why sometimes it's nice to just, you know, dive in at, you know, surface level and, Mm -hmm. and experience it and break it down and, you know, take it step by step, which is what we're here to do today. Excellent. Um, So before we dive into the chapter, why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings? How did you get introduced to it and whatnot?
1: Well, goodness, my first encounter with anything from J.R.R. Tolkien was the 1978 Rankin and Bass animated Hobbit. It was a TV special. I was a very young child, sadly not as young as I'd like to think I was. I was, I think, nine or ten. Uh, and so I ended up getting a copy of the book that came out in conjunction with that film. So it was an illustrated edition with images from the animated special. So I very oh, early so on had sort of distorted images of, of, of the Hobbits and of other characters. But uh, that was my first exposure. But what was funny, you know, at the end of most books, it, it'll say something like, also by J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings. Uh, this didn't. I, I don't know why. Uh, and so I never knew anything about him. I didn't know that he was, that he'd written anything else. So I just went on liking the Hobbit and I didn't talk to anybody or anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't never came up, but I eventually discovered the Lord of the Rings, uh, in high school. And I read the Lord of the Rings, I think first as a freshman, probably around 14 years old. Um, I don't think I tried the Silmarillion until I was in college. I bounced off of it probably three or four times, just like I'm sure many of your listeners have. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hear that all the time from people. I think I finally successfully got through it maybe, I don't know, maybe in my early 20s or so. Uh, But it never stayed on my heavy rotation list. Uh, Lord of the Rings, though, did. I think I tended to read The Lord of the Rings just about once a year uh, until around the time the movies came out. And I was excited for the Jackson films, uh, really enjoyed them, uh, just kind of devoured them and became more of a movie fan for a number of years. I... I regret. uh, Let me take that back. I don't regret liking the movies and watching the movies a lot. I only regret not reading the books a little bit more uh, because Mm -hmm. I think for me, a a few things kind of changed in my mind about what happened in the story. And I had to go back to the book to correct myself. But I would say probably about eight or nine years ago when the uh, Hobbit films came out and I realized the last thing I wanted to do is Dig deep into those films. Uh, yeah, <laughs> was was to get back into that's the books. Fair, yeah. yeah, yeah. That that reminded me books are always better. Um, didn't take mm-hmm. very long to figure that one out. So I got back into the books and was reminded of how amazing they are and have never left. And a couple of years later, that's when Sean and I started the Prancing Pony podcast back in 2016, which I can't believe we've been going for six years. But uh, it's been fantastic. We love it.
0: That's really awesome, yeah. That's so cool that there was a um, that there was a, a like illustrated edition of The Hobbit that used the animated film yeah. because I did cover the animated films. Oh, did you? Okay. And yeah, and what I loved about the the Hobbit is that it very much gave like you know storybook yes. um vibes you know mm-hmm. of like re of like enjoying this tale this you know fairy tale with your kids and your family yeah. and telling this story at bedtime and Um, The animation was, yeah, it was definitely unique, but like Mm -hmm. I thought it was really beautifully done for the time, of course. Um, So that's really cool that there was a a version that incorporated those illustrations. Indeed, Um, I still have
1: it, actually. It's not the binding is kind of falling apart, so I don't look at it very often anymore. Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's my my very first Tolkien book. Uh, Got it back in 1978. So do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: well, that's re- that's really special, and now I'm gonna like go scour like yeah. thrift stores or yeah, something. Yeah, if you don't need a first it. edition,
1: it's actually pretty affordable when you can find one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Today we are going to jump into chapter two of Ole and Yavanna. I wow. how do you how do you say? Yeah. Yep. Aule
1: and Yavanna. Anytime Yvonne, you have the, the two uh, the two consonants like that, the two ends back to back, and the same thing with, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples off the top of my head, and I can't, of course. But whenever you have those two consonants, it's a longer, so it's Yavanna.
0: Okay. I, um, I just asked because I find myself flipping back and forth. I, Say like Yavanna, which just is like that's I, I so hear American, myself say it. That's and I'm like such I'm an pre- American
1: pronunciation, right? Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: also, I think that's also some of my like Southern dialect coming in. Yavanna. So yeah. So, I like that. <laughs> but Yavanna, Yavanna, E-u-le
1: and Yavanna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. Our oh, day. you
0: should have. I um did like a. I had a voice recording going mm-hmm. while I was reading the first. Section uh-huh. of the Silmarillion, and I was like Ooh. reading it out loud, and I like knew my pro- my pronunciations were just all over the place. And that's
1: okay. So is the official audiobook.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I, and, I, I and tease, audiobooks but... confuse me even they more do. sometimes. Well, because... Martin Shaw
1: has a fantastic voice, but he mispronounces Iluvatar's name, and a couple of others I can't recall off the top of my head which ones. Uh, I think he mispronounces the A E in like Mithros. He pronounces it Mithros. Uh, the A-E is pronounced I, so Mithras, uh, for, for that name or for anything else that's going to have that I-E mm. in it. And Iluvatar, it's Iluvatar, not Iluvatar, as he pronounced Ooh, it. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what do they say? Em- emphasis on the wrong, yes, syllables, on the wrong syllable. Yeah? <laughs> Correct.
1: But I'll tell you what, you know, we, complete owning this right here, we botched so many pronunciations early on. Um uh, I think it's a, just a
0: rite of passage, it you is, know? <laughs> it is.
1: And I- even though there are guides, even though if you really pay attention to the pronunciation, the guide and pronunciation in The Lord of the Rings, you figure it out, we still messed it up. Uh, there's a place called Bellagost that we kept calling Belagost. Uh and, and other, we kept pronouncing that O as a long O, so it was like Ost in Ethel instead of Ost in Ethel or places like that. But yeah, um, Belagost, uh, That's it's not. Uh, we're not looking for Shaggy and Scooby-Doo in there. It's, uh, it's Bellagost.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. So this is of Aule and Yavanna. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also a I was so stunned. I was like blessedly surprised. This is a very brief chapter. It it's is, only four it? pages. Yeah, But um, it was very delightful. This is the first time um, reading the Silmarillion where I've been like, wait, this is actually this is actually really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, it is. It's the origin story of dwarves. It's a great Almost human story with Ale and Yavanna. Yeah, sure, they're Valar, uh, but boy, their decisions here—you know—you can really feel yeah. the sort of human element in the story. It's great.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and also I feel like I didn't have to stretch my brain muscle too much. That's true. You know? There is
1: not as much metaphysics here as there as there is in, let's say, Ainulindale and and things like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and there is only you know three three or four characters too, to to mm-hmm. deal with so yeah so i i think i'm getting a, a lot of people had said have said oh the beginning of the silmarillion is really rough so it is maybe this is a glimpse into what um people are thinking about when they're when they say oh i love the silmarillion so i hope so i think you'll like it yeah Okay, cool. We open up and it says, just straight off the bat, I love it. It is told that in their beginning, the dwarves were made by Aule in the darkness of Middle Earth. Mm. And I was like, oh, so so Aule made the... D- That's really cool. Go.
1: Who expected there, that, right?
0: There yeah. you go. That's really cool. Um, and then I also, on a previous episode, a guest kind of hinted at Aule doing something that yeah. everyone else was like... What'd you do, man? Yeah, Why, what, this was not.
1: And he part knew it too, plan. right? He knew it. You know, I mean, he's he's afraid that of their opinions. He thinks rightly that they would give him grief, so he does it in secret. And we all know from maybe the earlier stuff that we've read in the Silmarillion that doing things in secret does not always result in good things. Uh, you know, you you do that. You know, we, there was a line in I think it's in Nine of where you uh, uh, Melkor. They're talking about Melkor. And it's something about out of his. Uh, shame came the secret anger. Maybe it's the other way around. I don't remember which. But the whole idea was, you know, he was really angry, but he didn't, he didn't, he hid it. And hiding Mm -hmm. things is typically bad, as we'll find out, as you'll find out, uh, as you read more of the Silmarillion. I won't say more.
0: And it explains that he did this because he was unwilling to await the fulfillment of the designs of Iluvatar. Right. So he was just so stoked about Mm -hmm. this plan and the children of Iluvatar... And what um, what was to come for Arda that he was like, well, let's get started now. Yeah. I can do this. Let's do it.
1: Absolutely. And not only that, he wanted people to teach. He loves to teach. He loves to, you know, teach lore. He loves to teach his crafts. He's a smith uh, and he wants to uh, to have students, and you can't have students if you don't have living beings. It's kind of hard yeah. to, kind of hard yeah. to load he up the classroom. he was like, "Okay,
0: I, I'm standing around here. We've we've made this place. It's looking pretty good. I need some. I need yeah. my next project to work on. Yeah. What can I do? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he does not just sit around and watch Netflix, Ali. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's a busybody. He's he got to keep gotta doing, doing be, something. He's got to be keeping
1: his hands busy, no doubt about it.
0: And this is where, um, so I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> previously it's referenced that olay is the most like Melkor. Yeah. I've like definitely seen, you know, a few, you know, instances of that, but this is where I really saw it of like, oh, I see. Because olay is now doing something of his own volition Yes, that is not, you know, according to what... Aluvatar has yeah, told them to Yeah, it's not part of the original do.
1: music, right.
0: Yeah. He is breaking away from that mold and he's doing things of his own and mm-hmm. making things of his own. The difference between Aule and Melkor is that Owlette's intentions are like a lot more wholesome, uh, like they we, we discussed. Mm-hmm. He was just so excited to see uh, the, the future and see arta flourish. And he wanted people to teach his craft, to. So mm-hmm. his intentions were good. And that yeah. is where um, Melkor and Aule differ. Yeah, Melkor um, wanted subjects, not students. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another great um, thing to point out, too. He mentioned it also mentions that he wished because he knew that they would be here, um, that they would have Mm. to contend with Melkor possibly. Yeah, um, that he made them to be strong and unyielding. Yeah.
1: Definitely dwarves right there. That, that describes him in a heartbeat, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yes. And he made first the seven fathers of the dwarves in a hall under the mountains in Middle Earth. And that's, yeah, exactly, you know, like we know the dwarves mm-hmm. in The Hobbit to be. Yeah.
1: Well, and what's interesting, note that, you know, we, we know at this point that the Valar are, are all based in Amman. They're based in Valinor. He didn't do this in his workshop. Next to his house in Amman. He went all the way to Middle Earth to another continent to do this secret work. And I think that speaks again to his knowledge that what he was doing was probably not okay.
0: Exactly. Uh, But it is, it
1: it definitely connects, of course, with the dwarves' belief about their own origins as well. So,
0: Mm -hmm. but of course, God can't hide anything from
1: Aluvatar. Yeah.
0: Is gonna find out. And he comes down and he says, Why hast thou done this? Yeah. What are (laughs) you thinking? (laughs) What have you done? Just kind of. And and there is, you know, there is, you know, a a little back and forth of like, do you realize what you've just done? And is like, yeah, yeah, I think I realized what I just did. That was my bad. I'm I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You can imagine if he had a middle name. He heard it right there.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, I know he was known as as
1: Mahal, which I think just means craftsman. But you know, Olay Mahal, get over here right now. You know, I mean, this is uh, this is a chiding. This is a um, but Iluvatar, not surprisingly, because he dealt with Melkor the same way, was not. We don't read that he was angry. We don't read that he was, you know, wrathful and and speaking harshly. He just asks him legitimate questions. You know, why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Why did you do this thing that you know is outside of your scope, right? Outside of not only your ability, but your authority, the right to do this thing. And then he reminds him why it's beyond his power, right? I created you. I gave you your own being, your own independence, right? We go back if, to Aina uh, Lindaleh where we read about the secret fire, right? The flame imperishable. It's the heart of all things. That's that kind of a shorthand for independence or sentience or... or um you know, being a, a a being as opposed to you know a, a, an automaton, which mm-hmm. these would have been otherwise. And he tries to explain to him, this can't work, right? And if we let this stand, they're just going to be puppets. Is that what you wanted, Did, son? Is that what you wanted? And I think that's really when you see the big difference between Melkor and Ale. It's not just in the motivations; that's a big difference. But the biggest difference is in their response. To being mm-hmm. called on the carpet, Aule. I think the key word to describe Aule here is is humble. Mm-hmm. His humility, his contrition, uh, his repentance, and his remorse are all absolutely what we needed to see from Melkor and didn't. And and this is sort of the the recipe for how Melkor should have done it. You know, Melkor as he should have been uh, is is Aule in this regard. He's doing the right thing when confronted for having done the wrong thing.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I'm getting ahead exactly. of
1: myself, which is what I do. So, sorry. We'll get more to that <laughs> no, no, in a minute.
0: No. And, of course, um, as someone who uh, is coming from a, a Christian background, this mm-hmm. is also just super – I mean – Oh, yeah. We've already seen a lot of similarities between the Silmarillion and the Bible. Oh, very much so, yeah. A, a lot of people even told me, like, it's like reading the Bible, and it very much Quite so literally, is. literally,
1: not just the story, yeah. but the language. Yeah, it's very yeah. – You know, exalted language. Uh, Yes. Even, even Eluvatar. I mean, my thinking, I translate this immediately. What are you thinking about? What do you, what did you do this for? But, you know, it's why hast thou done this? I mean, it, yeah, it's very archaic language. And Tolkien uses that. Well, you know this because you've read The Lord of the Rings and you've read The Hobbit. He uses language so carefully. This isn't an accident, right? This is intentional. This is designed to create a sense of, of ancientry, of mythicness. Um, mm-hmm. This is above kind of the epic level, right? The Lord of the Rings is more of an epic, whereas The Hobbit is just like a, a, a real simple adventure, almost a, mm-hmm. a, a fairy tale kid story. But then you get into The Silmarillion, and it's even a level higher than that. And it's it's this more of a mythic tale rather than an epic tale, at least at the beginning. You get into more epics when you get to like Baron and Luthien and Tour and Tour and Bar, but I'll let you get there on your own.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this story is just so reminiscent of a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of times in the Bible where people have done something against God's will and they yeah. try to hide it or or something and God comes down and confronts them about it.
1: King David um, comes to mind. I mean, that's the first character I don't we didn't talk about that on the show cuz we we couldn't avoid all Comparisons to religious stuff, but we don't go into that because we're we're not both from that worldview, so we sort of yeah keep it very neutral. But yeah, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking of is is David, who you know, when he's finally called out on the carpet, he recognizes it and he he pays a price, but he gets it right.
0: Yeah, and I was just thinking of just like the first story of the Bible of oh, Adam, yeah. and, Eve Adam with, and Eve with the apple. Of you know,
1: they yeah.
0: eat the apple, they know that they were not supposed to. What are you thinking,
1: Adam? What did you do that for? Yeah, of course, and
0: and he he, he didn't do what Allie did. Down.
1: Adam points to Eve and says it was her fault. Yeah, so you like know, I, uh, I, I can't yeah. imagine Yvonne being very pleased with that if Allie. Went that route here. Uh, uh, I made these dwarves because Yavanna wanted some company. Yeah, mm. no. <laughs> no. No. That wouldn't have flown. Doesn't fly. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. There's a lot of parallels there, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. And much like in a lot of the stories of the Bible, if listeners are at all familiar, Iluvatar shows compassion Yes. for outlay mm-hmm. And rather than um, punishing him, he, he does say like... Do you not do you not realize what you've done? You've created these people out of your own being. That means they you are gonna have to control them, and if you are not paying attention to them right. at all times, they'll just sit there and do nothing. Like that's yeah. not a life no. for these things to have. You and Ayleigh is like okay, I I get it. I'll I'll destroy it. I see right. what I've done.
1: He repents. Um, yeah. He says, uh, OK, I'll I'm going to destroy it. this work because you're right. It was the wrong thing to do.
0: Yeah. And as he raises his hammer to destroy them, oh, um, uh, Iluvatar sees them flinch. And yeah. Iluvatar and also just kind of the action of Aule being willing to destroy it um, says, OK, we don't have to do that. That's yeah. fine. Thank you for you. You learned your lesson. Yeah. Now let's fix this.
1: That 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 particular part actually brings uh, Abraham and Isaac to mind. Uh, I mean, it's very much you know. I, okay, I'm going to go ahead and and sacrifice. You know, I'm going to go ahead and and do what you told me. You, you told me to destroy him. You. you told me to kill him. I'm going to do it. And then he stops him and says, No, you don't have to. You've shown that you would, and that's all I needed to know. And here we see the same thing. You know, Melchizedek chides him and. I do have to say, you know, I don't want to skip much because or I don't want to go backwards over much, I should say, uh, because I know we, we have a time limit to some extent. But I love the rationale that Owlette gives. And that's really important because I don't know how much of, of Tolkien's non-Middle Earth stuff you've read. Have you ever read his essay on fairy stories? No, I haven't. OK, I'm going to recommend that. But take your time. Uh, get around to it when you do. There are some really key concepts that he talks about in there. And one of them is this idea of subcreation. And Tolkien, in a a poem called Mythopoeia, he also talks about that as well. You can find both of those in Tree and Leaf, which is its own volume that has both those pieces in it. He talks about this subcreative urge that we all have, specifically that we are made by a creator and therefore we have the urge to create as well. That's where it Mm. comes from, in other words. And here we see that reflected in his story of of Aule. So Aule, made by a maker, therefore has the urge to make his uh, as well. And that's what he says, right? The making of things is in my heart, from my own making by thee. So he's telling elivatar "You made me with this subcreative urge, and so I'm I'm fulfilling it by doing this." And he still goes on to say, "Look, it was wrong," and that's when we get to the the, the, the sledgehammer bit. I just keep he- hearing uh, Peter Gabriel in the background. Um, sorry, I don't know if your audience gets the '80s music references like ours does, but um, <laughs> there will be
0: people out there; they'll get it.
1: Anyway, but uh, yeah, so I, I just wanted to point that out because it's really important conceptually yeah. to Tolkien's sub-creation uh, because, of course, he is himself a sub-creator, Tolkien. You know, I mean, he created this entire world and populated it with, you know, a, a kind of an analog, if you will, to God in Eluvatar and then to these, these angelic beings with the Valar. And he's created this world that isn't an allegory and he's very clear to make it so it is not an allegory. But he's always said that it's a world that you can believe in if you also believe this, right? It's consistent with his own worldview. So uh, I think that's a particularly important bit right there. And I didn't want to didn't want to skip that for your listeners.
0: No, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Aluvatar stops Alley from destroying yeah. them and says, Dost thou not see that these things have now a life of their own and speak with their own voices? Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, now you can't kill him because they're alive. Well, right. Yeah.
1: And I've done that part, by the way, you know, because uh, if, if they would have just been meat puppets for you. But now they have sentience because I can do that. Reminder, you can't. Yeah. Uh, and, and he goes and does that. And we see, as you pointed out earlier about uh, the compassion that Iluvatar showed, it's in that section that we see that where he says that Iluvatar had compassion upon Aule because mm-hmm. of his humility. And that's yeah. why. Yeah. yeah. So we see... Uh, we see both mercy and grace there, don't we? Right. We see mercy in that he doesn't punish him and grace in that he allows these these beings to now become yeah. sentient, you know.
0: And, you know, these are all themes, of course, that are, you know, like a through line yeah. of Lord of the Rings as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Like, hum- like the, the idea of humility and humbleness and, and mercy mm-hmm. are really core elements of Lord of the Rings and what you, happens yeah. um, with you know Frodo and all of these other characters. You think so, about
1: Gandalf t- talking to Frodo about having pity, which is essentially mercy. I mean, it's not quite the same and we can get yeah. into the etymologies, but the idea, of course, of, of, of having sorrow and not doing the thing that is deserved, right? Maybe Gollum deserves death, but mm-hmm. we're going to show him mercy. We're going to show him pity and not do that. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, mercy and grace are... Are through lines through the entire legendarium. Absolutely,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So Luvitar's like, okay, you can keep, you know, you can keep the puppy, <laughs> yeah, the exactly. stray puppy that you found, yeah. the dwarf-shaped on the side puppy of the road. with the funny beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could keep it, but um, this is still not in my vision. Right. The elves, I've already, ca- I've already named the elves the firstborn, so right. they have <laughs> they exactly to be the firstborn. Call them
1: anything other than the firstborn now, right?
0: So we're gonna put these guys in a sleep. And yep. we will wake them up when uh, the elves and men have come to Middle-earth, and then they can be a part of this land. Yeah. But he says, but when the time comes, I will awaken them, right. and they shall be to thee as children. And often strife shall arise between thine and mine, the children of my adoption and the children of my choice. Yeah. And." So this is uh, I would say the, you know, root of a lot of elf dwarf conflict. Yes. It um is. as I understand it, there's more that happens between elves and dwarves. Oh, much more.
1: Much more. I, much I, I more, don't want to yeah. spoil that for you.
0: But this is like where it begins. Scabby stabby. stabby. I'll is... just leave it at
1: that. I'll just <laughs> just leave it at that.
0: See, the thing is is that people I think people have told me multiple times like what happened and I've just forgotten every time. So I'll just discover it again, you know. Good.
1: Good. It's great to discover it for the first time. I'm always so jealous of people who get to do that because, you know, we've we've been in it knee deep for years now for the show, and uh, none of this is first time for us. You know, we're we're diving deep and pulling up all the nuggets and and connecting dots and things like that. But there really is something to be said for that first time experience. It's so eye opening, and you know, it still leads to the second and the third and the fourth readings because you always get something new out of Tolkien. So this mm-hmm. won't be your only read of the Silmarillion. I can tell you that.
0: Uh, I don't know. We'll come back to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, call me the optimist. That's we'll
0: revisit fine. that. We'll revisit that. We'll right, see. Fair. Like mentioned, when he when Ale first made them, he knew that they were going to be living during the time of Melkor, right, and that they would need to have all of these, you know, really strong, hardy traits. Mm-hmm. So it says, therefore, they are stone hard, stubborn fast in friendship and in enmity, and they suffer toil and hunger and hurt of body more heartily than all other speaking peoples. That's
1: right. And They've that's, got an 18 constitution. I mean, every last one yeah. of them has maxed out their constitution. Uh, yeah, they are. That is that is a, a brilliant description of the dwarves. Not only are yes, they stubborn yeah. and, and resilient and suffer hardship, they are fast to be friends, but they're also fast to want to kill you. Uh, they are very quick tempered in both directions and uh, we see that again throughout uh, the legendarium that yeah. yeah they don't get changed you know we we get this wonderful description of how they are but if we go back to the paragraph before or two paragraphs before we see uh, Iluvatar saying I'm not going to fix them I'm going to leave them the way you made them and that suggests that they aren't exactly well Elves and men were designed by Iluvatar himself. Mm -hmm. Dwarves were designed by Aule. So there is something lesser to an extent about them. And I don't mean that in any sort of judgmental sense that, oh, a dwarf is a lower creature than an elf. It's not. It's still a living being with the flame imperishable and all of that. But there is something to be said for their form, for the way that they are, um, and how both strengths and weaknesses. Let's be clear. Because they were made to be a particular way uh, by Aule at the time that they were created. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just love that description because, I mean, just Mm -hmm. how do you read that description and not immediately think of Gimli? Oh, yes,
1: absolutely. Except for the part where he complains about being an endurance runner (laughs) (laughs) in the films, of course. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Any dangerous were so short distances. No, no. Actually, you can run pretty darn far, man. You can suffer hunger like anybody. But uh, yeah.
0: Uh, it's been, well, Gimli's, you know, a couple thousand years later <laughs> after true. these original dwarves. He's gone dwarves, soft, maybe. man. He's yeah, gone soft, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, kind of, I, I guess, I don't know, a question for you. So sure. in the last little bit of this section about dwarves, mm-hmm. we learned that they will hold up Aule as, um, they they just think, they think very highly of Aule. They yeah. call him Mahal. Right. Then their part shall be to serve Aule and to aid him in the remaking of Arda after the last battle. And last battle is (laughs) capital L, capital B. Yeah. Um, is this like supposedly the like battle at the Black Gates where like all of humanity is possibly about to end as Frodo is destroying or not destroying the Ring? How
1: detailed an answer do you want?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I-, I could
1: give you something because I you're unlikely to read anything about the last battle because Tolkien never officially published anything on it. So it does not refer great. to the end of the third age. The Love last that. battle refers to something called the Dagor Dagoroth, which is a battle that Tolkien talked about in some of his drafts or or, you know, like wrote about in some of his outlines. And it's sort of a uh, End of Arda, it's sort of, I mean, again, if you want to draw biblical parallels, it's going to be like Armageddon in the sense that Mm -hmm. it ends uh, everything and Arda will be destroyed and then remade perfectly, Uh, which we, that's not a spoiler because you read it in the Ainulindale, right? When there's a line at the beginning there, and I'm going to go ahead and pull that up if I can find it. Never since have the Ainur made any music like to this music. Though it has been said that a greater still shall be made before Iluvatar by the choirs of the Ainur and the children of Iluvatar after the end of days. And that's when the themes will be played correctly. They'll take being when they're sung, because everybody's going to understand their own role and the roles of everybody else who's singing. And Iluvatar is going to give to their thoughts the secret fire being well pleased. So that's alluding to the remaking of Arda. Uh, after the last battle, but that's stuff that Tolkien never wrote, so there's nothing really there. There's no there there, if I can put it that way, uh, and that's why okay. I don't feel like I'm giving you any spoilers to say that. Uh,
0: okay, but yeah, you that's know. The last um- for a guy who, uh, in his first book, had the main character just be knocked out in the middle of a battle and then woke up and it was over, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he never really got to writing the last the last battle. battle. Yeah. Well, He's we do like, know oh, we do know later. a few
1: things that are supposed to happen, but those would be spoilers because they involve characters you haven't yet met in the Silmarillion.
0: Ooh, okay. So
1: come back to me when you're done with the Silmarillion, and we can talk about the Dagger Daggerath.
0: Oh, my gosh. There's so much to this man. so much. So much. Every time I think like, okay, I've like done a good job of diving into this world. There's just. Oh, you have.
1: Don't get me wrong. You've done a wonderful job. It's just a humongous world. You can't. Oh, uh, my
0: gosh. It's madness. You know,
1: his son, Christopher, you know, put together a 12 volume series called The History of Middle Earth that basically walks through Tolkien's creative process. And you see all Gosh, the drafts and manuscripts yeah. and all this. Uh, and so that's where you find a lot of this unpublished material. So uh, you can dive as deep as you want. We could spend 20 years doing this. In fact, Corey Olson probably will. Uh, I don't know if you know the Tolkien yeah. professor, but he's... You think we take a long time. I think we took uh, five episodes in the Council of Elrond. I think he took an entire year and a half. So. Oh, I
0: think, isn't he... <laughs> I, I think he's doing a project where he's dissecting it like sentence by sentence just about
1: yeah it's an incredibly detailed analysis i love his work it's just i i don't want my grandchildren to have to carry on my legacy so
0: yeah <laughs> uh, I,
1: I don't know how he's going to manage it but he's superhuman too so there you have it
0: yeah, that that's how the dwarves yeah. came to be. That's
1: the origin story of the dwarves. Do you yeah. want to touch real quickly on this bit about Durin, though? Because I think that's worth taking a, a minute or two on.
0: Sure, go for yeah. it. Yeah.
1: So this idea, right? We we read that the dwarves believe, and I should add also that a lot of this is what the dwarves believe, because you got to remember how the Silmarillion is written. It's uh, the framework or the conceit is that this is a history written down by the elves, and so well written down by a man who is being told it by the elves. That's even more of a conceit. But we read here that it's held among the elves that such and such, but then that is not the dwarves own belief for they say that. And then we get a series of those things. We don't know that that's the way it is. We don't know for sure. But of course we tend to believe that when Tolkien says it is said that, or those who say this, we tend to take those as the way it is. So we tend to believe that this is the case. But we only know that this is the dwarves' belief. So I say all that as a preface to this. The dwarves believe that those seven fathers are essentially reincarnated, uh, that after they die, that they do come back in uh, another another body and they are reincarnated as that same person. In this case, Durin's the only one who's named. Uh, and so the new Durin gets a new name. I mean, he's Durin the 6th or Durin the 7th or Durin the 37th or whatever. And obviously, they don't go that far. Uh, but the idea is that it is the same Durin. Durin the Deathless is why they call him that. Uh, we don't get to meet the other houses of the dwarves, the other six fathers of the dwarves and their descendants. Uh, there's some things mentioned about them in the histories of Middle-earth, but that's about it. Uh, all we know is of Durin's line. So
0: This might be a bit of a loaded question.
1: Uh-oh.
0: Um, given that for the... um amazon prime series there's yeah. this uh new character a dwarven queen yes do we think i think uh they've said her name is odessa possibly i think
1: i don't remember what i could have only totally
0: up. made that up i don't know where i would have pulled that out of my brain from no, i
1: can't remember her name but it's not it well whatever Princess her disa, name is disa D-I-S-S-A. d-i-s-a that,
0: that, that's it. Okay, oh, that's a, I, knew there was a... I get why
1: you said that. All right,
0: there we go. Is it since we don't? Is it that we don't meet or we don't know who these six other fathers of the dwarves are?
1: They are mentioned as different houses. Uh, that is to say, entirely different places in Middle Earth. We okay never meet them. So she would be of the House of Durin. She's just oh,
0: okay. I was like, so is she one of the other six? But she is of the house of Doran, she's
1: of the house of Doran, presumably. Okay, well, I mean, there goes that because we've <laughs> never we've never met a dwarf who's not of Doran's line. I mean, it literally that's all we get, uh, in, mm. in, in the Lord of the Rings and uh, the Hobbit. So, okay,
0: well, yeah. then never mind. <laughs> we don't know
1: who any of the other dwarven fathers are outside okay. of uh, an obscure text in the history of Middle
0: earth. Got it, got it. So, um then Owlette, remember how he hid all of oh, this? Oh yes, I do,
1: and so does Yavanna.
0: So he goes home <laughs> and talks to his wife Yavanna. Uh huh. Who, reminder for everyone, let me flip back in my notes mm-hmm. and double check. Um. Yavana is. Uh, I equated her to like a master gardener type yeah, person. That's a good comparison. Um, she is of nature essentially, yeah. N-
1: not just plants, but also living beings. the The deer and the animals and you know all of that. Those are all her her critters too. So it's critters and yeah. and plants.
0: And he's like, hey. So, uh, <laughs> by the way, How was I your day, kind honey? of made uh, way, a, made, made a new race of people without telling anyone, and Aluvatar <laughs> yeah. found out, and um, it's fine now, but— uh, I'm grounded,
1: <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a conversation I would have loved to have heard. All we get in the text is, he opened his mind to Yvonne and told her of all that had come to pass.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would love to hear money more of that to too. Hear that conversation. Also, just because that's such a that is such a uh, now I'm not one to um play into like gender stereotypes of like husband and wife and whatever, but right. that is such a like modern stereotypical conflict yeah. between man and wife yeah, that it the husband very much is, isn't like it? it's every episode ever of Home Improvement. Yeah, it
1: really <laughs> is. Er? Oh okay. my gosh. I could totally
0: Totally Owle, Owlay is Tim Taylor Tim is Tim the toolman Taylor. Oh my
1: gosh. Oh, oh, that's terrible. I'm never gonna get that image out of my head. You're
0: welcome. There you go. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love oh it. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> More power.
1: Yeah. <laughs> man. That's absolutely true though.
0: Oh my yeah. gosh. So and Oluvatar is what's their neighbor? Wilson? Wilson. Who always just hides looking behind over the fence. the fence.
1: What do you think you're doing <laughs> there? Providing
0: <neighbor>? guidance and <laughs> oh that's great i don't think i've thought about the show home improvement in years i know i haven't
1: either i that's it's that's i'm pulling up things from the dusty archives of my mind trying to remember that that's show So funny that's hilarious anyway
0: so yeah so they come they they have this conversation about what ally did oh yes they do yavana's not pleased she oh, no.
1: no she's not
0: um she is like wow Eru let you off like Real nice. That yeah. could have been bad. Yeah. She says he is merciful. Yeah. Yeah. Understatement of the year. I think.
1: I think so. I think she might have delivered it with a little sarcasm. There it
0: was. Yeah. You know,
1: or or a little bit of something. A little bit of snark.
0: Yeah. Um. And she says yet because thou hits hittest. Blah, blah, blah.
1: <laughs> Yet because thou
0: hidest this thought from me until its achievement, thy children will have little love for the things of my love. Yeah, They will love first the things made by their own hands as doth their father. Yep. They will delve in the earth and the things that grow and live upon the earth they will not heed. Many a tree shall feel the bite of their iron without pity.
1: Yeah, boy, that's uh, how much of that is prophetic in the sense that she knows this is going to be the case how much of it is almost um words with power right that she's making it that way that she's she's saying okay you know i'm i think it's more the, the previous i think it's more i i recognize that this is going to be the case because they're going to be like you stubborn uh not really caring about the things i like (laughs) <laughs> I could just see this conversation. You're right. It is a very yeah. stereotypical, uh, without getting into the gender roles, it's, it's very stereotypical. Uh, and and I, can, I can see this conversation going down <laughs> quite realistically. Yeah. yeah, they will love the things made by their own hands, as, as do you, Allie. You know, Allie's the craftsman. Remember why he wanted to make them? He wanted to make them so he could teach them how to do crafts. <laughs> He's the ultimate shop teacher. And, you know, he's he's not particularly interested in, uh, in home ec or in, uh, in in the gardening program. He's interested yeah. in shop and he mm-hmm. wants to teach them how to deal with rocks and metals and things like that.
0: Yeah. And so Aule says, well, funny you say that. Literally everyone, all of oh, the yeah. children of Iluvatar, um, are going to have dominion over the things that you've created. Yeah. And this is... By Eru's plan, this is his plan that they will come into this world and they will rule, you know, over and forsake all of the things that you have created. And nonetheless, I mean, like, uh, unsurprisingly, Yvonne is like, well, that sounds terrible. And yeah, it sounds like I'm minute. getting the short end of the stick. is that a surprise to me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't read
1: that part of the music. So, yeah, so she goes
0: a to talk to Manwe mm-hmm. um, and is like, is this true? When um is this true that the children when they come shall have dominion over all the things of my labor to do as they to do as they will therewith? Yeah. And Manwe says, "Yes, it is true." This is the part that I was a little confused about. He says, "But why dost thou ask? For thou hast no need of the teaching of outlay?
1: Of course, you picked the one sentence I couldn't quite figure out there either. Uh- <laughs> is he
0: just like? Well, why does it matter to you? Because you're not supposed to know this anyway.
1: I think this is a tough one. This is one that that Sean and I kind of wrestle with. Like, what does he mean here? Why dost thou ask? For thou hadst no need of the teaching of Ale. Um, mm, I'm not certain, and I hate saying that, but I'm not a hundred percent. That's certain. okay. I think it may be more along the lines of why are you asking me? Why didn't you ask Ale, who knows this? I mean.
0: Yeah, that could be it too. Allie
1: told you this and could tell you more about it. You didn't have to come ask me that. Um, But I I think, and and I think we get a clue to that—that reason, or that—that's how I read that question by the following answer. And it's because Manway can do something about it, whereas Allie couldn't. Yeah, you know, her her heart is anxious. She's you know very concerned about what might happen. Um, I do like, and I. I'm just going to go back to it real briefly. Uh, one of the things that, a couple of things that Aole said when he was answering her question or responding to her comment about how the dwarves won't like my stuff very much, uh, he points out that the other children are going to come and they're going to need your resources because they're going to eat and they're going to build. It's not that they're going to do this out of uh, cruelty or out of the sense or of anything. destruction. Yeah that this is how they're going to create their existence. They're going to build their building, so they're going to need your wood. They're going to need to eat, so they're going to need your your plants and your animals. Uh, and and even though these things all have a value and would have value, even if there were no elves or men or even dwarves, they are going to end up having dominion. And uh, But hopefully with some respect and with some thanks, right? He does kind of put that in there. and And I like that because it's not, He's not ignoring her needs completely or her desires to have those things be protected. He's just saying, look, they're they're important, but they're not as important as the children. And so the children are going to have this authority to use these things. But if they're going to use these things in accordance with Eru's will... They're going to do it with respect and gratitude, and I think that's that's you know really important. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and go on then to to the next bit that you were going to bring up.
0: Yeah, Yvanna uh, reveals that she's very worried about this. She's yep, like, yep. all of my hard work is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. That sounds terrible. Melkor has already destroyed so much. Why should the right. things that I've created also be you know ruined or destroyed?
1: Yeah, it's a valid question.
0: Yeah. 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 And so Manwe is like, well, what do you what do you want to do about it?
1: Right. Right. What would you what would you keep if you got your choice? Right? Yeah. What's the most important thing to you?
0: She says, well, everything is beautiful, of course. Um, but the Kelvar can flee or defend themselves.
1: Sorry, we drop into song all the time. So I'm thinking everything is beautiful <laughs> in its own way. Anyway, please edit that out.
0: <laughs> are the <laughs> No, I'm going to leave it in. Oh great. Even uh,
1: even my singing makes another show wonderful. All right.
0: Are the Am I correct in assuming that Kelvar is like critters and yeah, animals? Animals.
1: Yeah. Okay. This is the fauna and the flora, right? So okay, the, yeah. the Kelvar are the fauna and the Olvar. Yeah, so she
0: says the Kelvar can flee or defend themselves whereas the Olvar Cannot. Right. So trees plants. and plants. Yeah. Shrubs,
1: and flowers, trees. Yeah.
0: So then she says something that I was like, amazing, awesome, oh, yeah. perfect. Yeah. It really she says, is perfect, isn't it? So I see in my thought, would that the trees might speak on behalf of all things that have roots yeah. and punish those that wrong them?
1: You've read the Lord of the Rings. What's she talking about right there? She's
0: talking about Ents. She's talking about mm, Treebeard.
1: Don't be so hasty. But but you're right. I yeah.
0: love this yes. because the Ents the Ents are one of my favorite parts of Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Um, and so hearing about like their origin story yeah. and their creation is so is so cool and fun and also that it comes from um this person who cares so dearly about her creations being protected
1: and i think we get a little glimpse of tolkien here as well uh because of course he was very passionate Mm -hmm. about trees in particular i mean yeah he was a guy who loved nature and you know i think uh a lot of A lot of environmentalism can look to Tolkien for support, but I think specifically trees. If you read his Letters volume, there are some things he says about trees. Uh, There was one that was in a neighbor's yard that got chopped down that he just really lamented. Uh, And trees to him are very important. Uh, Mm -hmm. In that same volume I mentioned, Tree and Leaf, that has mythopoeia and on fairy stories, there's another little story of his that's an allegory. Yes, he wrote an allegory um, called Leaf by Niggle, and it's also about a tree. So... He loves trees. So it's not a surprise to see Gavana talking about how important trees are and would that yeah. the trees could right these wrongs. I love it. It's
0: great. Yeah, yeah. Manwe's like, Okay, let me think about this. Yeah. I'll get back to you.
1: Yeah, and let me go talk to the to the man upstairs. Quite literally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's like, let me go let me go have a chat with God. And so he and Aluvatar kind of work it out and Aluvatar <laughs> yeah. shows him that in the song, right. in the music the idea of ints was there to begin with yeah. he just maybe hadn't seen it right. quite yet so eluvatar shows him mm-hmm. that yes this is absolutely in the plan this can be done so he comes back and tells yavana this this is okay this is also where i get a little bit confused so sure. he so he says yes absolutely we can have the ints and um, they will be the protectors of the forest and everything. Mm-hmm. Then it says, did not thy thought and mine also meet yeah. so that we took wing together like great birds that soar above the clouds that also shall come to be by the heed of Luvatar, And before the children awake, there shall go forth with wings like the wind, the eagles of the Lords of the West. Yes. So now are they also creating... Story. The eagles, the
1: sentient eagles, right? The ones that everybody says yeah, should have like, flown the ring to to Mount Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah, giant ones, the giant the ones that talk. Rides, yeah, yeah. Thorondor and all of those guys. Yeah, these are them. Okay, uh, so I so, didn't
0: totally, you know, read into that. No, nope, you were
1: absolutely right. They are great. Right. If if the ants are the ones protecting uh, the trees, then in theory, the the eagles are the ones who uh, perhaps protect uh, some of the animal life. I don't know that they. Do that quite the way the ents shepherd the trees, uh, as we know. Eagles will will dive down and grab a sheep, so the Beornings aren't too much uh, aren't too big a fan. But um, yeah, they are definitely a higher level of being than just creatures. Yeah, you know, they they have, as the text says here, uh, that the thought of Yavanna will awake and it will summon spirits from afar, and they will go among the Kelvar. So that's going to be uh, the eagles and the Olvar, mm. and that's going to be the ents. And some will dwell therein, and their just anger shall be feared. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Isn't it? So we've got
1: the origin story for the dwarves, the Ents, and the Eagles, all in like a four-page chapter.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So cool. And also what I find really cool about um, what Yavanna has done here is that we have the Ents who are these, you know, protectors and guardians on land. Mm -hmm. And then meanwhile, you have the Eagles who are- up in yep. the skies, in the mountains, where the Ents cannot go. Right. So we're getting all our, you know, grounds covered, basically.
1: Yes, we are. And Ulmo's like, yeah, what about over here, man? You know, Ulmo, Ulmo's got the sea. And he's like, yeah, what, what do I get? Do I get any, like, magic fish? Anyway, no, he doesn't. Maybe later. Maybe later, bro.
0: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so she's pleased with this. She yes. feels good about this. Mm-hmm. So she goes home to Aule. She says, Eru is bountiful, now let thy children beware, for there shall walk a power in the forest whose wrath they will arouse at their peril. Mm-hmm. And Owlay is at his, like, workbench, you know, yep, whatever. Yep. He's doing And he stops thing. and kind of maybe looks at her and says, nonetheless, they will have need of wood. And he went on with his smith work.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I got so many jokes there. But no. That's... Yeah.
0: That's pretty cold that for, pretty for cold. him to just, like, she was so disheartened to hear that the things that she was creating would be um, used Yeah, and, yeah. you know, ruined or destroyed in some manner. And then she came back and was so excited to share and was like, this is great. Isn't this great? And Owl is just like, well, people are still, still going to have to cut down your trees. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I, this is another one of those moments where I really wish I could see the actual conversation. I mean, is Yavana coming back on, oh, Arrow is so bountiful. I, let, you should really warn your kids because now there's going to be this danger in the forest. Or is she like, Ero is bountiful, man. I mean, you know, you thought he was great to you. I said he was merciful to you. Arrow er is bountiful to me. Uh, let thy children beware, Owl A yeah, you, I'm talking to you, you know, I mean, who knows, you know, was she being snarky or was she being like, like just revealing her heart? I don't know. Uh, But I do think it's, it's interesting that she comes back and he's in his smithy pouring molten metal into a mold. So he's, he's busy working. I think he's just kind of blowing her off unless the less. Yeah. 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 You won't.
0: (laughs) And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. Very like sudden end.
1: Boom. Cut. Fade to black. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we need to see the argument that happens after that. that that's private. Yeah. <laughs> that that's uh, yeah. I hope. Let's just say I hope that in his smithy he's got a nice cozy bed because he's probably Uh-oh. spending the night there.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's, I think you're right about that. This yeah. is the
1: man cave, and he's stuck in the man cave for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that is the end of the chapter. It is. You're um, right. Are there is there anything that we glossed over, or anything that you wanted to like go back and point out, or, or let's um, see, Th- there might have been a couple of things elaborate on.
1: Uh, you know, we talked about oh about Manwe and aluvatar's conversation, right? When Manwe mm-hmm. went to aluvatar to figure out what was going on, and we get some more details about how things take place, right? Uh, the vision was renewed; it was not now remote for Manwe. It was himself within it. And yet he saw that all was upheld by the hand of Iluvatar, and the hand entered in, and from it came forth many wonders that had until then been hidden from him in the hearts of the Ainur. I think that points to this idea that we will see uh, the intervention of Iluvatar, the hand of Iluvatar, if you will, coming into play in key moments in the stories. Uh, I think, for example, we could point to Bilbo's finding of the ring as perhaps a, Mm. a moment where the hand of aluvatar kind of came in and gave a little nudge. Certainly, Gollum falling off the edge of the precipice in Mount Doom, very much a hand of aluvatar moment.
0: Uh, oh yeah, interesting you know, to think about where yeah.
1: where we start to see little nudges because you know one of the things that one of the things that's really hard to wrestle with in all of the legendarium, but especially in the Silmarillion, is this idea of fate and free will. Mm-hmm. And we see, for example, that the music mm-hmm. is as fate to all else. Uh, all else but man, right? Men have the ability to, um, as the text says, to, to essentially um, go beyond the music and change the way things are. Whereas elves and everybody else, the music is as written and the things that are going to happen in the music are the things that are going to happen. That's a hard thing to get your head around, this idea of fate and free will not being entirely incompatible because we tend to think of one or the other, either something is deterministic and, and is always going to be X or there's free will involved and it'll it'll just be the results of decisions and what we see in in the legendarium is really a mix of both uh we see i think of of frodo's decision in the council of elrond when he says okay i'll i'll do this thing i'll take it and i think i can't remember the exact words but elrond says i believe it was fated for you to do this but then later on he commends him for his choice because it's both and and that's something that um, that we see, I think, in that little bit, that description about Manwe in his conversation with Iluvatar, he's seeing the playing out of history, but then he sees these little interventions that come into play. And sometimes he uses people and their decisions, like Bilbo or Frodo, and sometimes he does little things like pushes Golem off the edge of a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah however you want to view it. Um, it's a but pretty it's, big it's thing to do.
0: Pr- pretty big thing, yeah. <laughs> it's a
1: pretty big thing. And You know, you'll see some very explicit moments when Iluvatar is directly mentioned as being involved. I can think of really only one more where we're at in the story, uh, and it'll be towards the very, very end. Um, I'll just mention the word Numenor, and it's related to that. But, um, yeah, uh, it's it's really interesting every time we hearken back to the music and we, we go back to how this plan, you know, unfolds over the course of history. So I just kind of wanted to, to reference that. Is there anything else specifically? Um, I do like how Yovana thinks, oh, yeah, that's right. We did do that thing in the music. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. You know, the trees are going to be really nice and tall so that the eagles can stay there. And Manwe's like, uh, uh, no, 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 no. Your husband's mountains are the only things that are going to be tall enough. There's a little bit of a humbling there, I think. A yeah. little bit of a reminder of her role as well as of Aule's role and then of Manway's kind of Overarching superiority as is, is essentially the king of art is the high, uh, yeah. of Vala. So uh, it, it it was <laughs> nay only the trees of alley will be tall enough is uh, yeah I think a hard thing for her to hear but she does come home and yeah you'd think that alley would be a little smarter than that um, he's gonna I. I would counsel against a different... I I would suggest a different reaction there, but... Yeah. He didn't listen to me. They never do.
0: I'm interested to see... I mean, Owley's already... Like, he's made some interesting choices, so I'm interested... He has. You know... He has. uh, I look forward to seeing, like, what else do these guys do? Because in my mind, I was thinking, oh, yeah, these are, you know... These are the gods of Middle-earth and like they're perfect and whatever and blah, blah. blah. But clearly they're already making their own choices that are questionable.
1: They are. are. And they'll they'll continue to make some questionable choices. Uh, You're going to get to one fairly soon after the elves show up and you'll see a split between them in terms of like some of them want to do one thing and some of them want to do another. And one could argue that maybe the choice they made might not have been the right one. It's the one they made. And, and yeah. history unfolds because of it. But, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see what I mean.
0: I don't want to cool. ruin things for you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, everyone, and the, for the rest of the year, by the way. Well, uh, that will bring us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for coming
1: on. Oh, it was my pleasure. I, I absolutely enjoyed myself. This is so much fun. Love talking about Alley and Yvonne. And
0: you did great going solo without Sean. <laughs> it felt so weird.
1: <laughs> Sean, I still love you, buddy. Can't wait to record a show again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you did great. You did great. Uh, I'm sure you'll um, do just as well. Where can people find you on the internet and what would you like to share with the audience? Well,
1: goodness. Uh, if you have not listened to the Prancing Pony podcast, please do. I'm not telling you to stop listening to this show. Don't do that. This show's great. But when you are ready to take just a slightly deeper dive, come find us at The Prancing Pony Podcast. Now, we've been going for six years. We covered The Silmarillion over the first, I don't know, 48 episodes or something like that. Uh, And then we moved on to The Hobbit. And then we're taking the six books of The Lord of the Rings. That's right. Each volume has two books uh, Mm -hmm. and doing a season on each. And we are in the middle of season four. So right now we are with Frodo and Sam. We happen to be in Athelian. We're about to uh. leave Faramir and head toward Cirith Ungol. Great part of the story. Please join us there or join us wherever you'd like to join us. Uh, you can find us at the Prancing Pony Podcast on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at at Prancing Pony Pod. You can find us on the web at theprancingponypodcast.com. We have a subreddit, also r slash Prancing uh, You can find us on Patreon. Uh, we have a really active community there that joins us for uh, live episode recordings once a month. They also get bonus episode, uh, like you know, postscripts, things like that. And let's see what else. Rings of Power. We're doing a show on that, a whole separate podcast unrelated to the PPP. It's going to be called the Rings of Power wrap up. And you can find us at at Rings Wrap Up on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, subreddits. Uh, all of that, just at rings wrap up. You'll find us. Also, of course, you'll find us in your favorite podcast app under the Prancing Pony Podcast or rings of power wrap up. We already do have a few episodes out talking about the trailer, talking about the images that they released, speculating, and having all sorts of fun talking about that. So come take a listen. Uh, If you didn't like me solo, that's okay. I'm better with Sean. We're a lot of fun.
0: No, you were great. You were great. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) You're too kind. You're too kind. I'll slip you the 20 later. (laughs) Well,
0: that is wonderful. All of that will be linked in the episode description. Thank you. So definitely, listeners, if you're someone who is always messaging me about questions for lore and telling Uh, me all uh, of this uh, other uh. background information that I haven't even gotten to yet... Uh Prancing Pony might be more up your alley if you want to dive into those details whereas we'll still be in the, you know, slow lane over here working our way through the Silmarillion. <laughs> still
1: got the water wings on and you're in the shallow yes, end of exactly. the pool. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. If you want to go like jet
0: skiing or something, you, you know. There you go. I love <laughs> or <it>. Scuba diving. <laughs> Go over there. That's the place to do it. Awesome. That's what I'm talking about. Is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, go to wbne.org, where you will find all of our shows, like Curly Critics. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com/user/talkingaboutpod. slash you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsup and Instagram at what. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. Next week, I hope to be making an announcement about updating the Patreon, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Taylor, Taylor. Thank you so much for continuing to support That's What I'm Talking About. I very much appreciate that. I appreciate your contributions to Discord, which by the way, listeners, if you're not a part of the Discord server, you definitely should be because then you can talk to wonderful people like Taylor. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. I don't think you can review on Spotify, but I know you can definitely rate, so make sure to give it five stars. Over on Apple Podcasts, I'll read out a more recent review that someone left, which is very kind of them. Uh, ivia 778 says, I adore this podcast. Thank you for creating such a fun space. Easy to follow and also hilarious takes on Tolkien. I'm looking forward to hearing your views on the Silmarillion because I read it once and did not really get it. Same. I am reading it in a lot of times. I'm still not getting it. It's very slow to come together, and we're only on chapter two, you know? So, thank you so much for those kind words. And if you want to be a kind human being too, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you again so much for joining me. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
1: Keep reading, whatever you're doing, enjoy Tolkien. Uh, It is a massive world, and you'll never be able to reach the end of it. And that's one of the joys about it. So, Uh, I'll tell you what, the best thing is the community. So find Mm -hmm. friends online or in person, in-person moots, conferences, gatherings, do it. Great people in this this community, uh, probably the best fandom, and I've been in a lot of different internet fandoms. So far, this is the best one.
0: And that's what I'm talking about.